Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics here at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. And a game we all thought was a winnable game turned out the complete opposite. Uh, Tulsa got shut down by Houston last Friday. You know, final score 45 to 10. Uh, So we're going to spend a lot of time breaking down everything that kind of went wrong. Some of the, you know, highlights that there were in the game uh and then we'll you know get right right into memphis see if you know tulsa can pull it off her homecoming next week yeah it was a tough one 45 to 10 like you mentioned brings tulsa to one and four on the season now which is rough rough worst american conference loss under philip montgomery um and his entire seven-year tenure now uh, he did mention post-game an illness situation that happened in the days leading up to the game. Kelly mentioned it on Twitter. Also, uh, that you know, quite a few players, was the quote, had a stomach virus early in the week. No idea what that actually means or how many that was or how bad it was or if a bunch of guys were missing practice or whatever. Um, don't know if that is uh, – I feel like if it was if it was a legitimate issue, then it would have been talked about more. You know, it was – this was – basically it sounded like just very briefly mentioned as a, as a kind of just a side note. So I don't know how much stock I want to put into that contributing to the game, but man, these guys looked asleep out there all game, especially uh, the offensive and defensive lines. You got the low snaps all game, things like that. Um, I'm sure we'll get into kind of that stuff more often or or later on, but wow, what a weird, uh, God, just a absolutely ridiculous game. And it like of all the times, like, you know, it's obviously there's never going to be a good time to have a 45 to 10 lost year rival at home, you know, but, uh, of all the times for this to happen the week before homecoming, uh, probably up there with the worst possible times. Cause you know, the, the stadium little sidebar here, like this was the first home game I've actually been able to go to. It was in Colorado for the first one and we were camping for the last one. And now this one finally get to go. And I had seen it on TV that the stadium looks pretty, pretty lightly attended. Right. Um, but wow, like when you're there in person, you can really tell there is nobody there. It is not a good look. And, but like homecoming, you know, the redemption of any, of any college football program, everybody's going to come back. Homecoming always looks pretty good for us. Uh, but man, you watch this right before your homecoming week, you just get blanked by Houston pretty much, but like, and just look just pathetic, pretty, you know, for the most part, really bad, uh, in, in pretty much every facet of the game out there. I am pretty worried about what homecoming is going to be like. I'm, I'm sure it'll be somewhat well attended just because it is homecoming. But of all the times to have this happen to you, this has got to be the worst. Yeah. And so just on that note, like playing on a Friday night, we are competing against very few people uh, for eyes. So you had, uh, I mean, it who was else on was ESPN. Playing? Like, yeah, BYU, I think, was playing Utah and like Iowa, Maryland were the only other games. Um, so there was a lot of people watching us just get obliterated by Houston. <laughs> Um, which is the opposite of last year's incredible like 
Tulane game where everybody was watching and, you know, we got a lot of great publicity. So I know people that don't normally watch Tulsa games that tuned in and they're just like, yeah, I turned it off after, you know, it was like 28 to nothing. It's like, yeah. oh yeah. So like halfway through the first quarter, roughly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not obviously it was, I know it wasn't that quick. That's hyperbole. Um, I mean, still like that's not even halfway through the second quarter though. Um, yes. And so just to go back on this, the sickness note, um, that's kind of reminiscent of, you know, the hundred to six loss, you know, half the team or more than half the team had like a, the stomach flu, um, some, something going on. So maybe, I mean, who am I to say you don't see Ryan, you can see me, uh, I, I don't have a tinfoil hat on right now, but does Houston poison our food? The answer is probably yes. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just going to say like next year, I'm very worried about uh, our catering before, you know, the Houston games. We should watch out for that. I mean, at least the hundred to six game was in Houston, right? So like, like they would have a plan on how they're going to poison our food. How are they going to pull that off? If it's at, <laughs> if it's in Tulsa, you know, I don't know. They're like, got some masterminds over there or something. Uh, but yes, God, just a terrible game. Ellie, you know, something that was good. We did see Trayvon Reeves back in there for like two plays. And then Tyler Tipton, they were both dressed on the sideline. Reeves played, uh, Tipton did not, but at least he was there. So that's, uh, somewhat of a positive. Almost cost us in the first play of the game with Tipton not actually kicking. Yes, true. Almost, but not quite. Got the holding penalty on. Oh my God. I freaking lost my mind. First play. They basically return it for a touchdown, got bailed out with a holding call there. Uh, I watched that again. The holding, you know, it was pretty close to the ball. So he, the guy might have actually stopped him had it happened. But, oh, my gosh, just for that to happen after so much time spent last week on this podcast talking about how bad our special teams are and the coaching staff coming out and saying we got to shore this stuff up and all this, you know, talk, talk, talk. Uh, special teams is bad. Everybody knows that coaching staff is focused on it, I think. Um, and then they come out first play and just run it all the way back. Oh my gosh. I, uh, you just got to laugh. I mean, you can't even be sad. It's just, uh, that's when you settle into the, the vibe of just nothing's wrong. It's all just, you know, it's a beautiful day. We're having a good time, whatever. Yeah. Marcus Jones, uh, did not disappoint kind of, so he had four punt returns for 75 yards, but one of them, I mean, so disappoint. Yeah, he did. Cause we don't want him to do well, but, uh, yes. just from like a, you know, objective, non-biased perspective. He had that run where, you know, uh, Ethan Hall launches himself at him, you know, tight end though, not great at wrapping up and get, you know, you can kind of bounce off the first tackle occasionally, uh, still pisses me off. Uh, And then he turns around and gets up to like the 30, um, you know, our 30. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of what this game really came down to is, well, a couple things. Turnovers killed us whether that be the interceptions or just, you know, not being able to convert on fourth down. Um, and so we're just give, we gave Houston such short field for a majority of this game, uh, you know, compounded by punt returns or, you know, their kick returns were whatever. Um, but you know, like the punt returns kind of topple on top of that. And so then, you know, a defense that we have that is generally a bends don't break, doesn't have a lot of room to bend. Um, and so we just got kind of beat early on on these drives uh, and Houston. I mean, Houston just outplayed our defense. Our defense looked kind of lost for a lot of those plays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I agree, you know, 
special teams obviously uh, was a killer once again. Turnover is a killer, but that is not the reason we I mean that's there's a lot of reasons we lost this game. We lost by, you know, 35. You can point to a lot of things. But I think the biggest one that stuck out to me was just that both our offensive and defensive lines just got rolled all game long. All, both sides. And usually that is not the case. I was so surprised. Davis Brand, you know, part of the reason for those turnovers, he was getting hit all the time. Every play, you know, not every play, but tons of plays this game. Getting hit as he threw. To, at least one of his picks was, you know, he got hit right when he was throwing and kind of lofted one. And that one got picked off. One of them was a tip. I don't remember what the third interception was. But, man, this guy was getting just blown up. Um, and I, you know, like preseason and, you know, still, like this isn't changing, obviously. Our offensive line is huge. Like they're a bunch of veteran guys that are like physically giant and talented. And like, you know, arguably the best offensive line in this in this league, or they should be. And, wow, I just I was just – I just could not believe how, how frequently – Houston's defensive line was getting to our guys and then how pretty much non-existent our defensive line looked against them particularly in run stopping once again uh coming back to bite us and I don't think I don't think we were you know gunning for trying to stop the pass from from Houston and Clayton Toon who's not you know he has a good completion percentage but is not like lighting the world on fire in terms of how good he is as a quarterback and Austin McCaskill for Houston just could not be stopped three touchdowns in the first half he's the guy's a freshman obviously a very I think he's a red shirt no, he's a true freshman. A uh, big recruit for them, taking carries away from uh, Mobile Car that we talked to with the with the Scott and Holman guys last week, and clearly deserves the role. I mean, the guy's a big timer. But wow, like nobody on our defensive line. We got I think zero sacks. I'm pretty sure, um, and they had four against us. I mean, it was just, both sides of that line. It was just nothing happening. And then going back on offense again for our offensive line, our run our run game couldn't do anything. We had. I think it was Shamari Brooks negative two yards on the game or something. And Anthony Watkins had 39 yards on eight carries, which is, which is pretty fine. Uh, Steven Anderson, I think carried it a few times did okay. Um, but for Shamari Brooks and, and then Daenerys Prince was out, which obviously is never going to help you. Uh, so Brooks negative two, I mean, that sucks. And then we kind of stop, you know, when you get down by 20 early, you're going to start throwing it way more. So I don't even know how many times we ran the ball this game. It wasn't very many times, probably less than, less than, you know, 20 probably 15 or something ran at 28 well because you have to count sacks um yeah without sacks how many times we run that ball uh so brooks was eight watkins was eight anderson was four so 16 and then Uh, that would be 20 yes it would be you're right (laughs) yeah so ran it ran it 20 times for what what was our total yard i have let me pop the 30 31 uh well brutal no, not even. So the 31 also takes in the sacks. So if you do 39 plus 34 minus two, so we're looking at what? 71, uh, 81. Sounds no, not, not 81. Yeah. 71. Yeah. Um, yeah, just rough, man. Like both again, I'll stick on the line point. It's just, that seemed like the biggest separator to me, the, and the, the line I think caused the interceptions, uh, which caused kind of a snowball effect. You've got the low snaps all game, which who knows? God, man, what a so weird, what Even a weird they, thing. This has never been took, a, when they took Wheeler out and put uh Gadlin in and then switched back. It was, it was like, <laughs> I they were both struggling with it. He was doing, Gadlin was doing it too. I have never, and it's so odd. Just so many weird things that I never see from this team. The the line's getting dominated. Gerard Wheeler, the center, is snapping at low, who has been, a, I mean, a very solid center. He came in for Dylan Couch, 
I think after the first game last year or something like that, and has been the guy ever since. And he's looked really good. I mean, there's been no complaints about him at center. I haven't noticed any weird snapping things. And then just all game this game he's doing is so they pull him, they put in Xavier Gadlin. He does the same thing. They swap him back and forth. And like this makes me think that maybe maybe the offensive line had some sickness issues going on. That's the only thing that explains this. They just looked way out of character. And that, I mean, just to see something like these snaps really blew, blew my mind. So, I mean, I'm falling back on hoping it was a sickness thing because if it's not, then I have no idea what the heck was going on there. So, before we move on, Matt, I'm going to pose this to you right now. Okay. Talk of the town. And it's the talk of the town well, anytime like you this, lose by 35. I, f- I feel like this is going to be uh, a Philip Montgomery question. Yes, of course. Of course it is. Lose by thirty-five. You have to bring it up when you're uh, mm-hmm. when you're not a consistently successful team. Is it finally time for Philip Montgomery to go? I have my own thoughts on this, but I will. Uh, I want to. I want to let you roll with this one first. Yeah. So for me, it comes down to. I mean, you always can say point to an excuse, like you know the team was sick or. You know, stuff was happening and that's, you know, when we have it all locked and loaded and ready to go, you know, we're going to be a good team. Like we've, I feel like we've heard stuff similar to that, you know, when we went three and nine, when we went four and eight um, and like right now we're one and four and there's only so many chances you can like give somebody before, I mean, seven years is a long time to have, I mean, how many winning seasons to three Winning seasons, two. Um, no, not even. Yeah, because he went six and seven uh, yep. that first year because he lost in the bowl. So yeah, you have the one uh, Dane Evans run, which, I mean, two. I mean, a lot of that is our, we were stacked with talent, and so I mean, to his credit, he brought in a great offensive system that really um, capitalized on all that. But to then, you know, your only other winning season is in the weird COVID year where everybody is going to put an asterisk on it. Yeah. Like we should. Yeah. We five losing seasons is too many. Um, I mean, you just, you have to cut bait in my opinion. Like we need change at the very least. Um, I just feel like you can't say this team has underperformed so far. Uh, obviously like we lost to an FCS team. We just got blown out by 35 at home. Um, when this is supposed to be our good, like the year. So yeah, I mean, I'm team. We should part ways with Philip Montgomery at the end of the year, unless we pull off like an eight game win streak to, to wrap it up or I guess, (laughs) well, no eight because we win the bowl. Yeah. Um, I know I was thinking that too. Like it's, it's tough, you know, cause it's, it's, it's hard to judge a coach mid season. Cause you never know what's going to happen the rest of the season. But like, we're basically done with the easy part of this. I mean, there was no easy part of this schedule, but like we got the FCS team out of the way and we got Arkansas state out of the way. Uh, there's no really bad, really, really bad teams, except for maybe temple who just beat Memphis. So I, I don't, uh, and USF, I guess I would put them in there too, but you know, the game's coming up. You've got, you've got Memphis, you've got South Florida. We've got a buy. Then we have Navy, Cincinnati, Tulane, Temple and SMU. We're not going to win. So many of those are on the road. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Most of the like tough ones. I think only, only Navy's at home. Yeah. At SMU, at Temple, at Cincinnati, at USF. So we've got Memphis and Navy. 
and at Tulane, right? Oh, sorry. Temple is a home game too. So okay. yeah, those, those three are home games. It's, I mean, it's not going to get easier. So, I mean, props to him if he can pull off the bowl season and we get to a bowl game somehow. But at this point, it's a, I think it's probably a lost cause. So like my, my thinking here is like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the fire, fire a coach midseason uh, idea. I never like, I never think that's a good idea. Um, but what you can do is start evaluating other coaches right now, assuming that you are going to fire him at the end of the season, but don't actually do it. Like, don't, don't do it. You don't need to do it right now. Um, but if it like treat it no, like you there's might. There's no way Tulsa would fire midseason. That's just, yeah, no, I, I not that kind of school. And yeah, I agree. Like don't fire. That just puts the, I mean, that just makes the program look worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you're essentially saying free fall. I mean, what does that say to the guys on the team? How many of them are going to just like not want to, play yeah for an interim the rest of the year kind of thing yeah and you know like i know players on this team love he's like the guys like him it's not like they you know it's not like the players are revolting against him and they they don't like him as a coach that's not the issue like guys actually maybe like him too much 100 percent like the frustrating part of it i mean philip montgomery is awesome he does like he's definitely a player's coach a lot of his players speak high like when we talked to dane our first season dane had nothing but praise for him Mm -hmm. uh and so like i agree but like come down to it the in-game decisions haven't been there mm-hmm. the preparation uh for a lot of these games just doesn't seem like it's been there i mean we have had how many x number of slow starts to games since he's been in um and it's just the thing that we brought him in i mean he came from baylor uh which was one of the like as an offensive mastermind and we just haven't really seen that uh ever since mm-hmm. dane and all those guys graduated after the 2016 season. Um, and so he's just kind of shown that he's struggled being able to like recruit to win in a sense. I mean, like a lot of his guys, okay, I'm kind of rambling, but he's known as a quarterback guru. How many quarterback issues have we had since? Like we haven't had a clear cut. This guy's amazing. And it's like, it looks like it could be Davis, but he struggled last game could be the line issue. Like he hasn't had a home run on a quarterback at any point. Yeah. And I, I do think Davis can be that guy for him, but you're right. For the most part, you know, Dane Evans wasn't his recruit and he, everybody since then, aside from the potential of Davis Brin is, is, has not panned out very well. And the things that I think are, are the most damning for him are just the the ongoing penalty issues, especially this season. Uh, we are literally worse in the country right now, 130th out of 130 at penalty yards and penalty yards per game that we give up. And we are second to last in like total number of penalties and total number of penalty yards per game. That is all, I mean, that is on him and the staff and how they coach and how they discipline their guys and how they go about handling that stuff. It's, it hasn't gotten any better. And it just, so that that's one. And then this last game, you know, I, I'm not going to put any kind of decision on a one game event, but just since it's so fresh in my head, uh, you know, the guys just looked asleep. They looked like they didn't care. Maybe it was a sickness thing. Who knows? Who knows? If it was, he should have talked about that more, um, but he didn't. So I, it, that's that's on coaching and recruiting and the kind of guys you're you're getting. And I, I think we actually do develop our guys very well. I think that's something that the staff does exceptionally well at. Uh, but the just how they looked out there yesterday and uh, a couple you know the last few weeks and a lot of the, a lot of the time over these last seven years has not been up to where we i think we need to be and like you said i mean we've given philip montgomery plenty of time we are tulsa has not been the kind of team and is not the kind of 
university that is going to or can cut the cord after like two or three seasons with a coach, right? That's not what we do. And that's usually good. It gives it gives guys to get in there and settle in and find their rhythm with the program, hopefully. Um, and at, we're clearly there at this, like seven years in with Philip Montgomery. This is what we can expect from him. We kind of know. I mean, we're, we're going to get some kind of weird clock management a lot of the time. We're going to have probably pretty bad penalties. We're going to get some younger, like kind of smaller, smaller class uh, recruiting classes um, who actually get to be pretty good because our, our player development has been great. And we're going <laughs> to lose a lot of games that we should win. And so, you know, that's not where I think that the program needs to be. Uh, bottom of the country in so many things, literally last place, uh, especially yeah. in the penalties and special teams. We're, we're at the bottom for basically all of those. And that we'll be competitive against teams that are supposed to beat us. Uh, and then we'll just, yeah, we were favorites against Houston. We're going to lose these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, just to point to a couple issues from this specific game, uh, you like the decision to go for a field goal when you're down 42 to nothing. Um, or well, it was wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, that was, um, yeah, but 28 nothing. So you make it a four score game. You make it uh, into a four score game still. Uh, and then the decision to like punt it when you're down. I mean, I think at that point we were down 42 to three. So might as well, like, I mean, Tulsa Hop commented on this. I said the same thing to you in the stands. Like we're punting because we're more afraid to lose 49 to three than we are to try and score here. You mean we're uh, kicking a field goal? No, no, this is when we, yeah. Do you remember you like when you called him a coward uh, for punting? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we were on our 25, but I mean, you're already down 42 to three. Who cares? (laughs) Yes. Like, um, and so I'll finish it off with this. So I am, as you know, listeners probably know, I have been on like Frank Haith should be gone for a while. Uh, just because I feel like we could do better at, in basketball for our coaching situation. So I Frank Haith has done more for our basketball team than Philip Montgomery has for our football team in the span that they've both been here. And so mm-hmm. like, I see more of a reason at this point to keep Frank Haith than I do for Philip Montgomery. I think it's, which kind of blows my mind. Cause I mean, as you know, I'm not a Frank Haith, uh, apologist so when that happens something's out of whack for me i think it's just gotta yeah it's time this season i think is really good i mean if unless he really turns the ship around i think this could be the the dagger because you know he's gotten the benefit of the the doubt because we you know started off great lots of potential for the first couple years uh, then tanked right and then it was a slow build up and it was like all right he's building the program back and we're like getting slowly better whatever a one win improvement is over the four years every time and then finally, it seemed like, okay, everything's working. You know, we got last year, we hit the peak, you know, went six and one, six and oh in conference until uh, Cincinnati. And like, we're ranked and everything was looking great. We had a, a national star in Zayvon Collins and, and a really good defense and a, a solid offense. And it seemed like things were just going to keep rolling. And what, what happens with like, just the wheels fall off, like for no reason. Why is, why are we one and four? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And we almost lost Arkansas state in a way that we actually, like, that game should have been a 30 point win. We were just rolling those guys and we just gave them ways to stay in this game. So it's, you know, thing, it's just so frustrating. And like, I know, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm not a, I don't get paid millions of dollars to coach these guys. 
but man, it seems like there's got to be a better thing out there than than what we're getting out of Philip Montgomery, as much as it hurts me to say. Because like like what you said, Matt, like I think he's an amazing guy. I think the players love him. I think the university loves him. That's why he's stuck around for seven years. Uh, but man, at some point, it like you're we're paying him money to do this, and it's not happening. And so you gotta you gotta make the tough call. And I think this is gonna be the season. Yeah. And so I know I said it was my last thing, but you know, since like 2000, just for some of our coaches, like Bill Blankenship had two years after winning the Liberty Bowl, you know, like winning the conference, our final year, our second to final year in Conference USA. Then he had two bad years as he was kind of moving through recruiting classes. You know, like he recruited Dane Evans. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were slowly having that transition and he gets fired uh, after going, you know, three, nine, two and ten bring in Montgomery. Montgomery is able to go 2-10-3-9-4-8 back to back to back without any issues. Pays off cuz you go, you know, like you were saying 6 and 3 last year um with, you know, potential to be more, but now 1 and 4. Like last year is looking like a f- kind of like a fluke. Yeah. Um just based on like the team was really good and that's not discrediting the players or anything like that. But it seems like an outlier for Philip Montgomery's coaching career. I agree. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Got plenty, plenty of games left to turn the ship around. If he can do it, obviously I'd be a fan, uh, but it's just hard to see at this point coming off a game like that. So I don't know. You never know. You never know. It's the thing with Tulsa is you never know what you're going to get out of the, out of the team. So who knows? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll really turn it around here. Yeah. Like I said, eight win streak to cap it off and we're having a very different conversation and I'm eating my shoes. Yeah. Would be happy to no doubt. Uh, all right. So, I don't really want to talk much about this game. So let's move on. If you're cool with it, move on to like offensive and defensive and player of the game and stuff like that. Yep. All right. Sweet. Uh, Oh wait, one more thing before we just penalties and injuries real quick before I forget. So penalties, uh, Tulsa and Houston had the same number. We each had 11. Unfortunately, ours went for an extra 20 yards. So we had 11 penalties for 119 yards. Houston had 11 for 90, not good performances on either side of the, either side of the ball there. Um, still Tulsa, let me see. Yes, I, already, I think I already mentioned. We are last in the country. I did mention this. We are last in the country in terms of penalty yards per game that we give up, and we are second to last in terms of total number of penalties that we've had. Not good for the hurricane. All right, on to offensive player of the game. Uh, who wants to start? Uh, I'll start, but I feel like we're going to have very similar answers because there's really one. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's one standout player this game. Uh, for sure. And he wears number nine. This is Sam Crawford Jr. He had five catches for 101 yards. And I mean, he just tried to will uh, as much out of our offense as he could. Like when you're like we had 289 total yards. uh, So when you're accounting for, you know, a good, what is that? 40% of them. Like that's a force. Like he, his presence was known on in this game. Um, Part of the reason is outside of him, we didn't really have much. We didn't have, you had like a, a good run here or there. Anthony Watkins had a pretty good run uh, at one point. And then you have Ezra Naylor had the touchdown, which is great. Uh, but Sam Crawford has just kind of shown as he did a couple of years ago, uh, like two years ago, that he is, you know, quite possibly one of our, if not the most talented receiver we have out there, especially when like Stokes came back this game wasn't really given a lot of opportunities to succeed. We put him in a lot of out routes where he was getting hit early. Um, and so Sam Crawford, though, took advantage of everything and really put on a, sh- a show. 
Yeah, he did. I had him too for all the same reasons. He just, I mean, it is, it is interesting though. I think the point about him is he our best deep threat, right? Like that's not beginning of the season. You ask me that question. I say Keelan Stokes or, or JC Santana. I would say Josh Johnson is more of like the middle kind of middle of the field speed, speed specialist. And then Sam is just kind of like Mr. Reliable there who, you know, I feel like he's kind of like a, you know, third and long, you're going to put him on like a hitch route, go 10 yards or something, and he'll come down with it. That's a, that's just how I have him in my head. But all of a sudden he's turned into this, like at least the last two or three games now, uh, pretty consistently catching some deep balls and like big plays for us. And I think he's really turning it on. I, I, he's, a, he's been a pleasant surprise this year. And I think where, uh, where, where Stokes has been a little bit underwhelming this season with between injuries and just the numbers he's put up, uh, Sam Crawford has definitely stepped up. So I agree. Sam was mine as well. Yeah. And I think if you have, so JC had that one, uh, real deep one that, uh, he didn't catch. And so, you know, maybe so did Stokes. Yeah. And so, you know, a couple of these catches, not all these catches are as easy to catch obviously. And I've never played football, uh, competitively. So I, you know, I, I am aware of the, uh, you know, being an observer, but some of these, when they're hitting your hands, please catch them. Like one of them, at least, I think could have been a touchdown maybe. And, you know, that's possibly a different game. Yeah, I, I do think, though, like part of that, there were there was a lot. Even the receivers were having just a ton of trouble getting separation this game. I noticed it all game long. There's just these these Houston DBs were all over them, like consistently. I, I, don't, I was really surprised. And I, I thought about my comment a couple of weeks ago about, why is Kane Montgomery the one over the middle? Because he's not getting open. He's always covered up. And then I was like, well, it happened to literally all of our receivers this game. <laughs> like nobody could get any separation at all. Um, even Sam Crawford on that on that deep catch, he was not wide open. It was a great catch by him. It was a perfect throw and then a, a really good catch by Crawford. But the same thing happened. Like um, you mentioned uh, JC's and I mentioned um, Keelan Stokes long pass. Both of those also pretty, pretty fantastic throws by Davis Brin really well covered up by the by Houston's defense and just couldn't bring it in uh, from those two guys. So props to Sam for bringing those in. Uh, I'll start with defensive player of the game. Uh, a couple ways you can go on defense, slightly better game than the offense, but still um, not, not wonderful. I'm going to give it to Colin Wick. Uh, guy had an awesome game. Notice it all game. He was in the backfield a lot, had two tackles for loss. Uh, I thought he looked really good. He was the kind of the lone star in our defense defensive line out there making stuff happen. Jackson Player got in there in the second half. He missed the first half, so his numbers were were down. His impact was down just because of that. I thought he looked pretty good when he came back in. Uh, but for a full game, player of the game, uh, I thought Colin Wick played more than well enough to get it this week. Yeah, so um, I'll give two. I'll give my first one, which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek answer, uh, and that is Jackson Player is the defensive player of the game. Uh, in the sense where not having him in the first half, uh, I think absolutely <laughs> was an impact. Like, you know, you kind of talk about, oh, look, one player, uh, our de- defensive line should be able to step up because we have a decent amount of talent across the board. Uh, and we just got kind of beat up, uh, as we already talked about in the trenches. And so just to kind of, this is more to really highlight Jackson player's impact. And, you know, when he came on, he was getting those double teams like right away. And so, you know, they weren't having to double team anybody and they were getting a lot more time in the first half. So that's kind of like in one sense. Yeah. Jackson players, my defensive player of the game. 
Uh, for somebody who actually played the entire game, though, um, I think that the return of Trayvon Reeves, I think he came in, uh, didn't play the entire game, uh, came in, I don't even know if he, do you recall if there was a certain period of time where he actually started sitting up, like playing on the field? Uh, the first time I saw him out there was when he I saw him come on the field. I think it was the first time. And the first play I saw him make was the he, he caused a fumble that I thought we were going to recover in the end zone, but it ended up they called the guy down. Yeah. So which that was pretty late, right? That was at least second quarter. I mean, we were. Yeah, I, it, it was definitely. Yeah, we were down by a lot already by the time okay, I yeah. noticed him. He might have been in there beforehand. I just didn't notice. But that's the first time I saw him in. Yeah. And I feel like once he kind of came in, like you're saying, he had an immediate impact uh, on this game for what he could do. He had a tackle for a loss uh, and kind of brought a little bit more, uh, I don't know if structure, stability maybe to the linebacking core, which has just kind of not been as strong in Zayvon Collins's wake. Yeah, agreed. Um, Yeah, I I thought he played well. I I, I didn't see him in there early at all. And now I look at the box where he had three total tackles. So I definitely miss something. And that's where I'm like, if he... I'm wondering, like, did those all come late after he started playing? Again? Yeah. Or did yeah, we just maybe. like we weren't paying? Could have been we were, you know, weren't paying enough attention. Yeah. But I feel like we noticed that. Yeah, I was. I mean, I've been looking for him all season, so I <laughs> I was surprised when I saw that he had three tackles. I only noticed the one. Um. Okay. Uh, I think you're up for special teams player of the game. Oh, I forgot the boycott. Are you you're holding you're you're holding? I don't think it's done anything to uh, <laughs> to to bring it back for you. I guess. Nope. <laughs> okay, I'll go then. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Lachlan Wilson, who I thought had a fine game, and most importantly, because he made that tackle that you mentioned, stopped Marcus Jones from almost definitely returning that punt for a touchdown. Uh, let me look up how he actually did with his punting. Five punts, fifty yard average. 55-yarder was the long, pretty good game. So that plus nothing ridiculous happened uh, in punt coverage, and he made a tackle that saved a punt return, uh, I think earns you special teams player of the game. Yeah, and so just to go on top of that, like it wasn't because that was a bad punt or anything that he was forced to, you know, occasionally you'll outkick the coverage, Mm -hmm. um, and then that's when the punter is. But like I already said, I mean, Tulsa had a guy pretty much as soon as he caught the ball, so... He didn't outkick his coverage on that too. And then yeah, still we are play. in our, in our series of very bad rankings. We are 125th in punt return defense out of 130. And so the net punting ranking that we're also bad at is not because of Lachlan Wilson. His punts are fine. It's because we cannot, we can't freaking tackle anybody out there. Uh, so that's not gonna, it's just, I don't, I don't see how that gets any better at the season. What do you do? I have no idea how you improve that stuff. Like, I don't know. You just, uh, Somebody, what was the comment? Was it just, I guess it was last week. You just said we should take onside kicks all the time and never go or go for it every time on fourth down. I mean, I'm here. I'm in for it at this point. Like if we're this bad in every aspect of special teams, why not? You know, but it's not going to happen. All right. Um, let's see. Was there anything else to add before moving on to Memphis? Oh, we did. Uh, I did notice some young guys got in cause we were down, um, by a lot, obviously, at the end of the game. So redshirt freshman Malachi Jones came in at wide receiver. Very cool. Was looking forward to seeing him. Uh, so I think he had uh, – he either had a catch or he had somebody – he got thrown the ball 
and pass Malachi interference got called catch. on him. He did have a catch. Okay, cool. I wonder if they uh, – interesting. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking of the play where P.I. got called on him, but I can't remember if he – maybe he caught that ball also. Uh, or he caught another one. Um, so one that was kind of cool. Yards. Yeah, sweet. Um, had the nice interception from Jace Oliver in the end zone, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, shout out to him. I think maybe his first career interception. So good on him for getting that one. And, uh, oh, and the last thing that I thought just kind of a weird call that happened during the game that I wanted to mention Houston's first touchdown drive. So we, we stopped them, you know, a couple things here. One, we stopped them on their first drive. Great. Right after that first drive, they score four straight touchdowns. Like their, their next four drives are all touchdowns. Uh, so then it's like 28, nothing, right? That's how that happened. That was rough. Um, but the reason I, I thought of that was, uh, on Houston's first touchdown drive, they were driving down the field, made it all the way down. They threw the ball into the end zone from like 10 yards out. And Ty Neal Martin, beautiful coverage in the end zone, batted the ball right away, and they called pass interference on him. And I watched that play. Uh, you know, we were at the game, so I couldn't really tell live. But uh, watched it, watched that play again today uh, before we started. And like, oh, my gosh, what a weak pass interference call. It was just – it was beautiful coverage. I'm telling – like, Ty Neal Martin – consistently has shown he is a great cover guy he has made so many good like plays that just stick out in your head that's one of them that should have been another one that that was called correctly and and a proper pass disruption but unfortunately was called pi so that sucked all right that's all i've got on the houston game ready to move on from that one uh good to move on to memphis yep okay so memphis it's the homecoming game it is on Saturday at eight o'clock central time, late game. Going to go into pot potentially a midnight. We played some four hour games before this could be a midnighter. So we'll see, see what happens. Um, but we opened as a six point favorite over after losing by 35 to Houston at home. You hate to see it. You (laughs) play better as underdogs. You say, I know exactly. Yeah. For reals, man. Um, and you say, like, why? How could how could Tulsa possibly? We're one in four. We just got beat by 35 at home to a team that is probably an average American conference team in the long run. How are we favorites over Memphis, who is three and two and have a bunch of good players on our team? They just lost to Temple. I'm telling you, that is the entire reason. Temple is not good. And they just lost they just lost this game. That's what it, that's the only reason I can think of that we'd be favored. Temple's not good. How did they lose this game? I have no idea. Anyways. We are a six-point favorite. Um, Memphis is three and two overall. They have beaten FCS team Nickel State. They have played a common opponent with us, which is somewhat interesting. In Arkansas State, we both won those games, both extremely high scoring. Memphis won fifty-five to fifty. What was the final score of our game against them? 45. Do you have that? Oh, 41-34, right? Yeah. Yes, got it. 41 to 34. Uh, so very high scoring, very high power offense, very, very bad defenses. Um, Arkansas State's defense is horrendous. Memphis is not much better. They have a terrible defense too. So hopefully we'll play like we did against Arkansas State, except not let up a bunch of special teams touchdowns and we can win this one. Uh, so that was their first win. Then they won two more um, after, or well, they beat Nickel State, they beat Arkansas State, and they beat Mississippi State. So they started off 3-0 and with an SEC win and a Sunbelt win over Arkansas State. Then they drop two in a row, which is where we are now. They lost by three each, one at home to Conference USA, UTSA, one on the road just this last weekend to Temple. So three and two overall. 
and they are a they're an interesting team. They have a lot of talent, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so that's where I'll start. They are not 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 good at defense. So offense, quarterback, freshman, Seth Hennigan. This was an interesting note because preseason, and I think we talked about this in a past episode, but the competition seemed clearly between two other guys, Grant Gunnell and Peter Parrish. And this f- true freshman, as far as I know, maybe he's a redshirt, I'm not sure, but a freshman, Seth Hennigan, beats them both out. It wasn't like one of them got injured, just beat him. So he comes in, he becomes the starting quarterback there for his game. Um, I think, actually, they played all all the quarterbacks against Nickel State, but he was the starter at when uh, when they played Arkansas State, their first you know FBS game. And he is playing well. He is completing 61% of his passes, averaging about 300 passing yards a game. He has thrown 12 touchdowns, only one interception. So that guy is playing some good football. They also, uh, the guys he's passing to, at least one of them, probably the conference's, I would say definitely the conference's best receiver. SMU's got some guys too. I think this guy is, a, is ahead above them all. Calvin Austin, um, he's a stud. He already has seven touchdowns this year. He has 637 receiving yards through five games. He's a, he's a monster. He's going to be a tough one to cover. We just covered a really tough guy in Tank Dell with Houston. Didn't do very well against him. So, and this guy is way better than Tank Dell, I think. So I, I am uh, very concerned about Calvin Austin. He is a very fun one to watch. So I guess you get you get some fun football out of it, hopefully. Uh, but I'm not excited that Tulsa, unfortunately, is playing him this week and has to cover him with either Tyon Davis or, or Trayvon Fuller. Oh, notably, something we did talk about with the Scott and Holman guys last week was who is going to be primarily on Tank Dell, right? Is it going to be Tyon Davis or Trayvon Fuller? And it was pretty much most of the game Trayvon Fuller was on him. Uh, sometimes they sw- they switch things around. A lot of the times, a lot of the time, Fuller is on the if you're if you're facing Houston's offense, Fuller's on the left side, Tyon Davis is on the right side. Uh, but they'll switch things up every now and then. But a lot of the time, it was it was Fuller on Dell, um, and Dell had six catches for 82 yards. No, no, no touchdowns. Not a ridiculously high-powered game. So I think we did okay on him. Uh, but he didn't really need to do much because they could throw to whoever they wanted all game, uh, and it wasn't much trouble. So interesting to note. I uh, just wanted to bring that one up because we talked about it last week. But Calvin Austin, number one, I believe, for Memphis. Just man, what a what a actually absolute set. Let me make sure on his number actually before I move on. Calvin Austin is number four. Okay, there we go. All these short, all these uh, all the good guys like to be the single-digit numbers. I get it. I like it too. Um, so Calvin Austin definitely got to watch. The more you know, not kind of a, a weirder story is that running backs. Memphis, you're so used to seeing just ridiculous running backs come out of this program. Antonio Gibson, Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, all in the last like three years, and and Kenny Gainwell, who's now you know I think he's a rookie this year in the NFL. Um, and opted out last year. He could have could have played again. He's playing on the Eagles. Um, they do not have that good of a running game this year. They've got a couple guys who have put up some decent numbers, uh, but they are. It's not these are these are not the caliber of guys that you know that I of the guys that I just mentioned. These NFL caliber guys who've been there for the last like five years straight. Um, last year, the, their lead back was Drake Clark, and he seems to have taken a backseat already to a freshman who maybe is the next kind of big timer for them. Brandon Thomas, averaging seven yards a carry. Uh, 100, rushing, 100 rushing yards a game. Uh, Dreek Clark closer to 50 yards a game. So it's just, I, I, I think it's weird. I haven't watched a ton of Memphis football, but it just, it jumps out at you, uh, the difference between the running game this year and what it's been in the past. So good for us because our rushing defense has been pretty pretty terrible lately. So hopefully that helps us out. Um, but if they start throwing the ball around a lot, I'd be really worried about Seth Hennigan and going to Calvin Austin over and over again. And uh, just like we couldn't stop, 
um, whatever that dude's name was, Corey Rucker or whatever from, from Arkansas State, uh, I'm very worried about not being able to stop Calvin Austin to an even greater extent. Yeah, so not looking at roster, I was just kind of like digging around while you were uh, going through all of that information. And so like, you know, the circle of suck uh, or whatever, like, oh, you know, so-and-so <laughs> is beat, you know, like how yeah. you prove that, you know, the worst team in the country is the best. Like this is Memphis who beat Mississippi State, who yesterday beat Texas A&M, who's also beaten like <laughs> NC State, who beat Clemson. And we know Clemson's not very good, but NC State is like 23rd in the country. <laughs> uh, like, how did this happen? How did Memphis beat Mississippi State uh, and then lose to Temple? It's just and UTSA, yeah. Who's uh, not like a power? I mean, they're an undefeated conference USA team, but they're not like a top twenty fiver. No, I. I mean, they seem to be pretty good this year. Um, and it was at home. To, yeah, but no, I, I know. I'm not saying they're a bad team. The Temple one is definitely the one that sticks out. But I was just surprised when they lost that. And they they were up like twenty one nothing to start that game. They UTSA came all the way back and won. Weird, 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 very weird. weird. Uh, yeah. Who knows, year. man. <laughs> it is it is i and I'll, yeah it this week specifically was extremely weird um for college football so a couple other just notes personnel notes on this team uh their tight end is also really good a guy to watch sean dykes he's a senior um third in total yards on that team second in receiving uh i think he's also third in touchdowns total touchdowns on the team as well um on the defensive side they do have some decent players uh most specifically i think easily their best defensive player is a junior safety quindell johnson he's a stud 47 tackles five pass disruptions he got a ton of preseason hype um very likely a first team all-conference kind of guy so definitely one to watch out for he's a safety back there um they've got a couple of really good linebackers uh two seniors jj russell and xavier cullens uh jj russell leads the whole team in tackles with 61 cullens leads the team in tackles for loss with five and then when you're thinking of their DBs, um, aside from Quindell Johnson, uh, their freshman cornerback, Greg Rubin, leads their defense in pass breakups with 10, 10 pass breakup through five games, which is third most in the country. So, and he's a freshman. So that, I mean, that's pretty good too. But yeah. Lots to take away from this game. Um, something I wanted to, something that stuck out to me is just Memphis, Memphis in terms of like how they stack up in rankings and all these different stats versus us, they are way better than us. And like a lot more stats than we are better than them at. So when I, when I look at like, what is Tulsa better at Memphis at, we are better at fumbles lost. We've only lost one. That's good. Uh, we are 11th in the country at that. Actually Memphis, very bad. 113th. They've lost five fumbles this year. We are better than them at team tackles for loss. We have 35 TFLs. Uh, that's good for 30th. Memphis has 25, which is good for 95th. Uh, passes intercepted. We've intercepted four passes. Memphis has only intercepted one more of their, you know, not, not great defense on that side of the ball for the Tigers. Um, turnovers gained. So how many turnovers have we like, you know, caused and gotten the ball fumble recoveries and interceptions combined. So we are 56th with three fumble recoveries and four interceptions. Memphis is 106th, uh, with one interception and, and three fumble recoveries. And then the last one that's kind of notable is time of possession. Surprisingly, uh, Tulsa, not that great. 65th in the country with 29 minutes time of possession. Memphis tied for last in the country, uh, yeah. with 24 minutes per game time of possession there. So not great. But when you look the other, and when you flip this around and look at what are the things that Memphis is way better than, like you can probably guess literally, I mean, 
the easy guesses are special teams, anything related to special teams, and anything related to uh, basically like penalties. Special teams and penalties is what it's all about. Um, like like Houston and Marcus Jones, Memphis also has one of the top punt returners in the country with Calvin Austin, who I mentioned already at receiver. He is also their punt returner. He is uh, third in the country at punt returns with one punt return touchdown and 26-yard average. Tulsa's 114th. Uh, no punt return touchdowns, 2.7 yard average on, a, on our punt return runbacks. We average 2.7 yards per punt return. That is just, just horrible. Um, punt return defense, Memphis is fifth, allowing 0.75 yards per punt return to opposing teams. Tulsa 120, 125th, allowing 17.8 yards per punt return to opposing teams. Just real ridiculously bad. Um, and I'll blaze through the rest. I mean, they're, they're just, they're embarrassingly, embarrassingly bad. Uh, We've thrown way more interceptions than than Memphis has. Memphis has only thrown one. We've thrown eight now after Davis brings three or however many in the last game. Uh, they're way better than us at passing efficiency. They're way better than us at scoring offense. We are 104th. They are 21st. Um, kickoff returns, obviously, kickoff return defense, they're way better. Red zone offense, we are surprisingly very bad. I mean, maybe not. It's been kind of a... I guess we've talked about that in several episodes so far this season. But red zone offense, we are 113th. We score a field goal or a touchdown 71.4% of the time when we get into the offense. Memphis is 43rd. They score a field goal or a touchdown 89.5% of the time. And then, like I mentioned, pretty much anything related to penalties, it's going to be a big discrepancy with only with anybody except for the worst teams like us. Uh, Memphis is 56th in penalties per game. We are last uh, in both of those. <laughs> so it's like, it's not good. Not good. There's a lot of categories where we are just clearly the worst team. Uh, but I think a lot of this was skewed because of how just absolutely terribly we played against Houston. So you got a chance to turn this around a little bit, get things back on track, but not feeling good after the Houston game. That is for sure. Hmm. All right. Uh, anything to add Matt before we do some around the conference real quick? Uh, no, sir. All right. Let me pull those up. I didn't watch any of these games. I was doing all kinds of stuff this weekend, so I did not get to watch these games. Uh, But some big ones. First and foremost, the biggest game of the weekend, Cincinnati going on the road to take on Notre Dame. Pulled it off. 24-13 win for the Bearcats over Notre Dame. Desmond Ritter threw two touchdowns, 297 yards. Uh, Man, I mean, that's one I'm probably going to watch in my spare time this week just because what a big game for the conference. What a way to pull it off. Top 10 game on the road. Since he was favored in this game, uh, I saw a good tweet just saying how notable it is that Cincinnati could even be favored as an American conference team on the road against a top 10 big brand like Notre Dame. Speaks a lot for the conference, so shout out to them getting it done. I know they're about to uh, leave us, but while they're here, pulling for them, I I suppose. Um, Talked about this one already. Memphis played Temple. On the road, uh, Memphis went to Philly and lost. They lost that game. I I cannot believe it. If you would have asked me to bet on a game this weekend, I would have bet Memphis over Temple. And I don't know if Temple is I you know I don't know if if Temple's proving me wrong here or if Memphis is proving me right. One of the two is happening, maybe both. I thought Memphis was going to have a down year, and then I started doubting myself because they looked really strong. You know, like we said, beat Mississippi State early on. I was like, oh, maybe they're not. Maybe they're not as bad as I, as I thought. Uh, and I, I've obviously every week basically have been very down on Temple. And what do you know? But Temple pulls off the upset. I think they were like fourteen or seventeen point underdogs in this game or something like that. And they ended up getting it done. So good on the Owls, I guess. Maybe they're. I mean, I suppose they're 
almost definitely not as bad as I thought they were. Um, but are they actually a middle tier American conference team? We will see. Uh, another, just like I mentioned this earlier, just a weird week in college football, especially in the American. So many weird upsets. Here's another one. UCF traveling to 0-3 Navy and loses. I know UCF just lost Dylan Gabriel. So they got freshman Mikey Keene or sophomore, however old he is. Uh, but they lose this game. And Navy scored 17 points in the fourth quarter to pull it off. There is a lot of drama on Twitter from UCF fans, as there always is about literally anything that ever happens in that program. But something they were talking about was Dylan Gabriel, uh, Mikey Keene, their freshman quarterback for UCF, driving down the field, trying to go win this game. They were down, right? And they pull him out of the game. Like, he'd been in there the whole time. They were rolling down the field, apparently, and they swap him out for Joey Gatewood or whoever their their third-string quarterback is because he's faster. And so they run some, like, end-around quarterback draw with him, and it doesn't it doesn't work, and they get shut down, and then they lose. So that's how that game ended. Uh, UCF fans were very upset that, that Keene got pulled, um, but they get upset about, about everything. Very, very dramatic fan base over there. So very happy that they won. Pulling for Navy. Navy's awesome. Uh, another upset, just one after the other this week, Tulane, like the sleeper of the conference every year, deservingly, they have always been kind of a hiddenly talented team in the American, especially this year, Michael Pratt coming back and they pull off the almost Oklahoma upset to begin the year, all this stuff. Uh, they lose by 23 to East Carolina. The, the pirates who are not that good. They have like one good win. Now they have two. But they beat Marshall, which is a good win. And they've lost all their other games except for an FCS game. And now they come in and beat Tulane by 23. Oh, my. I, another one where I just would never have thought that would have happened. So our uh, I told Matt this earlier. But, like, we've got our AAC blogger poll rankings that will go out tomorrow or Tuesday or whatever. And mine have never taken a bigger shakeup. I, like, I don't know who's good in this conference anymore. Maybe everyone's just bad. It's just except for Cincy. Like, there's nobody. And maybe Houston is stepping up or something. And SMU, yes, of course. Good good point. SMU is clearly very good, um, which sucks. <laughs> like, of all the things, I wish it wasn't them. Uh, but, yeah. So, it's got so weird. And then the last one, uh, which doesn't really need much explanation, SMU played South Florida at home. They won by 30-something. Uh, not even close. Uh, or 25 or whatever that is, 24. Um, won 41 to 17. So, big game. Uh, not surprising. South Florida is bad. Seems like they are. You know, they played BYU so close last week. I thought they were maybe maybe getting – I think they only lost by seven to a ranked BYU team. And so I was like, man. Maybe, and they found their quarterback. They're, they're starting this guy, Timmy McLean, now. And I was like, okay, maybe they're going to, you know, settle in and find something. Then SMU just comes in and just wrecks them. And I just like, go back to earth, South Florida. I, I feel bad. I wanted them to be good because I haven't ranked them last in my blogger poll ever this season, even though they are maybe obviously the worst team. I just don't want to do it. But I did. I'm, I'm ranking them last this week, which is sad. Sad for me. Yeah, and I think the, the stat is like Tanner Mordecai is five touchdowns away from the single season uh, record. What? At SMU or something. What? Uh, I think I saw that from some from somebody. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's amazing. No way that's true. They've, what? Like Shane Bouchelle even last year was throwing tons of, t- I mean, he is, I mean, you're right. Like Mordecai is off. He's on fire. He's throwing like four a game. But still. Oh my God! Five away, with like seven so games Shane, left. Yeah, Shane had Shane had twenty three last year, twenty nineteen he had thirty four. So how many is Mordecai at now? Right, right now, I don't so know. So it's probably not. Yeah, he's at twenty four. So he's ten away. Okay, 
from still two Jeez. years ago. Yeah, and that's three five games. And you know, amazing. I also quite possibly I'm, I misread that, but it's something about um, yeah nineteen. I don't know. Like when did they have good Ben Hicks through thirty three? Oh, ben Hicks, meh. I can look at their uh, passing all time touchdown per season. While Matt's looking that up, uh, speaking of SMU, and we'll move on from around the American here, men's soccer. What a program. Tell you what, 8-0 and now. Played number six. So there are all kinds of weird rankings in soccer. I don't know what the official ones are. The NCAA lists the coaches poll, which, you know, if that's anything like the football poll, it doesn't feel like the most the most legit one. Uh, but there are like three or four. They get cited all the time. So the one that I'm going to choose to talk about. Ones. What? Top drawer is the yeah. is a big yeah. one. That seems like the one that, uh, that the Tulsa world was pointing to a lot last week. Um, so I'm going to stick with that one because that's the one that makes Tulsa look the best. Tulsa was number four last week. SMU number six last week. Conference opener for Tulsa. Conference home opener, at least. Um, SMU comes to Tulsa. Number six versus number four to play this game. I went to the game, and it was, I'll tell you, way more fun than I've had in any football game. Well, this is the first first home game I went to was, was, this, was this week against Houston. So not much competition there. But a lot of fun, way more fun than I've had at a home football game in a while. Uh, last year, I think we went to one because of COVID, or maybe two, I think just one, right, Matt? We only go to one home game last year? I didn't go to any. You didn't go to uh, East Carolina uh, with mm-hmm. me? Oh, okay. But yeah, so that even even more to the point, like it's just been a while since we've like had a, had a home game where the crowd was there and it was a fun one because before that we were bad again. So... I'll tell you, this soccer, this soccer team is legit. It was a seriously, an extremely fun game. Easily the most fun I've ever had at a soccer game. No, no question. And it was just a blast, man. Like if you didn't catch what happened at the end of this one, close game, all game, uh, like one to one, pretty much. I think it was one to one when we went into overtime and, you know, full overtime, the way it works in soccer, you have two overtimes and if it, if it's still a tie after two overtimes, it's just a tie. They don't do uh, penalty kicks unless it's a tournament game. So regular season, it can end in a tie, no problem, after two overtimes. So one-to-one, we go into the first overtime, neck-and-neck neck the whole first overtime, couple really close shots on goal, nobody scores. So we go into double overtime. So if it ends after this one, it's a tie, which is just deflating, right? I don't, it, you know, so much more fun to, to win it or, or to lose it in dramatic fashion. Uh, fortunately, we were on the winning side of this. So, like, we get down to the double overtime, and it's not like, and, oh, also, overtimes end, like, the game's over when somebody scores. It's not like it goes to the end of the time period called golden goal, right? So somebody scores this thing, the game ends immediately. So we get all the way down to seven and a half seconds left in the in the second overtime, still one to one. And we are just like SMU, it looks like is just thinking that this thing's going to end there. I mean, they look like kind of surprised that uh, what's going down here. So we got a guy crosses it right to the middle to, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Malik Henry Scott. Um, guy from Texas, really good player. One of our two best players after Meinhard. Um, and he he kind of gets the ball middle of the field, kind of shrugs his guy off. SMU guy just kind of falls down behind him. Henry Scott passes it to, I think, our German guy. I'm blanking on his name, um, who takes the shot on goal. Goalie blocks it with his hands, like falls forward, blocks it, right? And the ball kind of trickles out after that block, but it's still very like in the middle of the field. And so who comes in but but Meinhard and just buries it like corner of the end zone with the goalie still like on the ground. Oh my gosh. I mean, so Alex Meinhard, just what a play. I mean, he's going to get all the credit. Uh, and like like Tulsa Hop said, I think it's totally true. 
Malik Henry Scott made that play happen. He got the ball in the middle of the field, got it to the open guy who took the shot that led to the goal by Alex Meinhardt. So, wow. I mean, I, the whole place, like the field got the, they rushed, the fans rushed the field. The student section was going wild all game. There were like, I think FC Tulsa was there. There were a bunch of other organizations there. It was like Pat, you know, I know the stadium isn't, isn't nearly as big as the football stadium, but the environment was just extremely cool. They had like blue, uh, like blue fog being sprayed out every now and then somebody came with that and big, like big drums. People are banging on on the sidelines. It was super fun. So if you got a chance to get out to a a Tulsa game, soccer game, get out there. They're playing South Florida at home right now. As we speak, it's probably just ending. Actually it started at seven o'clock and it's nine o'clock now. Um, so, uh, go to the next one because it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, It was a Um, okay. So I found what I was looking for. So first, uh, Shane Bouchelet in 2019 <laughs> set the record. Man, you have to the, you have to tell people uh, you're you're being sarcastic. I, Otherwise, I, I intentionally mispronounce his name. Um, that's how so. Pat Fox intentionally pronounces it, or like he does. He didn't know that was wrong though. Yeah, Shane Bouchel had yes. 34 touchdowns. That is SMU's current highest in a single season. Tanner Mordecai is seventh, tied for sixth, I guess. Uh, through five games, which God, that is freaking nuts. Yeah. So Pony Up Pipe Train had a tweet on it where he, his pace, he is currently outpacing everybody by uh, 10 touchdowns at, through five games. God, so what? he is on pace to obliterate it. And I mean, he potentially has a shot depending on how many games they play at Joe Burrow's uh, all time record of 60. Joe Just, Burrow, all time record. Didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, through, so Burrow had 15 games, though. To, you know, SMU is not going to have 15 games. Oh, yes, because playoff and everything. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. They should separate it by regular season. That should be the thing. Yeah, I'm sure they, they do don't. somewhere. Oh, weird. Yeah, I mean, the guy the guy is a stud. And, like, a lot of hype coming in, coming from OU, obviously, deservingly. Uh, lost to Spencer Radler, who looks like he's, he's really struggling this year. I don't know, man. Like, I don't like cheering for SMU. But when you've got a guy that is – balling that hard and like this offense is just absolutely explosive they've got two incredible receivers on that and a really good tight end it's hard not to just like get excited about smu football as much as that sucks their defense is still pretty bad but that is one hell of an offense they've got over there in dallas so i'm looking forward to that game i think that's our last one of the regular season is that right is that how we end the year i feel like on the road yeah yeah on the road at smu so i mean it'll be fun if things turn around for Tulsa. It seemed like it was going to be a blast preseason when we both thought that Tulsa was going to be good and SMU was going to be good, but now it, it's not really looking like that as much anymore, unfortunately. All right. Anything to close it out with, Matt, or you want to wrap it up? Uh, I think I'm good. All right. We will close it out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, drop us a rate, rating or a review over there too. Really appreciate any of those that you can that you can do. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that. Go to our website, thegoldenhurricast.com slash support to find those two ways. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at goldenhurricast. And you can send us an email if you want to. That email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. Hurricane.
Matt, this is a note to push it by two seconds automatically <laughs> because you were late in hitting record. Perfect. Tiggers. I can see this whole one. Nothing's cut off. It's great. It's like tigers. Although really it should be cougars because we haven't played them yet. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> you need the E in there for it to be tigers. But like, no. Otherwise I'm it's tiggers. Like, yeah, you can keep all the R's, but you need the E. No, because it's gr G R. You know that's how you do it. You would still have you would still have the G R. You could you could do T grays or something. You know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. All right, yeah. Well, we're playing the tickers. <laughs> okay. And we are Winnie the Pooh. Imagine like okay, one last ticker like Herc wearing just a red shirt and no pants, like Winnie the Pooh. Versus Tigger. This is Beautiful. actually a great yeah. idea for a, like a um, picture. I'll get. Pat I think. Uh, I think that's doable. Sounds like fun.